Welcome back to Clinician's Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm your host, registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser, and we are currently in Reno, Nevada for the Wild West Vet Show, where we're sitting down with different session speakers to get the inside track and learn all the tips and tricks that you can put into practice immediately. And this episode, we're very excited to have some time to sit down and talk with Dr. Mary Gardner. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm I'm, super excited. I'm excited. We're excited (laughs) to have you. I was looking at the topics that you're doing here, and, and they're very important, right? We're talking a little bit about getting your veterinary groove back, <laughs> caregiver burden, and workplace happiness in general if it's possible. So I have a, a list of questions I can't wait to break into and, and to get more information from you here. But first, I just kind of want to know a little bit more about you. Tell me <laughs> tell me about Dr. Mary Gardner. How'd you get here? You know, what's your background? Oh, gosh. I'm a little unique where I, uh, I actually was not um, always on track to be a veterinarian when I was younger. I loved animals, but that wasn't my passion, I okay. guess you could say. And so I am a converted software software engineer turned veterinarian. Okay. So I was 10 years in software development. And then in my 30s, decided to go back to school after a experience with my own pet passing and, and just that tragedy. So I decided that I think I wanted to, to change to change my life path. Wow. <laughs> I know. And I went, I took uh, night courses to get my, um, I was going to say my GED. No, I had yeah. my GED, my um, prerequisites. Yeah. And then uh, and then got into University of Florida when I was 31. So wow. it's it's been a little bit of a, of a different path that most people take. And then I did general practice in South Florida for about two years. And then for now over, uh, since, since 2010, I've been doing exclusively in-home end-of-life care. Yeah. yeah. And that's so important. I right? love it. Yeah. I love that niche. I never thought I would. Everybody thinks, you know, didn't you go to vet school to save animals? And isn't that depressing all day long? And it's, it's such a gift and it's so nice to, uh, to help families in the hardest day, make something a little bit beautiful of it. You're, you know, it's such an important point that you make it so salient because I think whenever anybody finds out we're in the veterinary industry they're always like oh that's so cool but I could never I mean it is literally always the second thing I hear is what you do is so awesome it must be fun to work with animals but you know what I couldn't do and people immediately go straight to the euthanasia experience but we have this I want, I'm going to say handful, and perhaps there are a few handfuls of you guys, really <laughs> special veterinarians who have found this to be actually their niche and where they yeah. really can not only do a good job at physically, right, medically, professionally doing what they do, but have the resiliency built into their personality to say that, yeah, this is super sad. It's super sad. And I'm honest to be, a, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of this yeah. and I'm honored to make this the, the the best last moment I can. For sure. And I think it takes a little bit of adaptability and, and compartmentalizing sure. sometimes. And, uh, you know, people always say, oh, don't you, you know, do, do you still cry because you've been doing this for almost 10 years and, and you must be like hard and callous. <laughs> But I actually cry more now than I ever did in the beginning because I think in the beginning we don't go with any technician. We have to do everything ourselves. So it's so it's me alone in a, in a in a family's home, which I actually like. I like that private moment. I don't need you know an extra set of hands. I have to do everything myself. But in the beginning, I was very much concerned about the experience and making sure they they can't see my catheter, or they can't see you know my clippers are working well. I you know make sure I can get the vein and, and things like that. And so I was I was very much concentrating on the technical side of things. Sure. 
Yeah. And now that that's almost muscle memory, I, I'm just almost doing that part naturally. And so then I could really kind of appreciate the experience that I'm having with the families and, yeah. and, and enjoy that pet a little bit. Yeah. And therefore then when I've let them go, I'm like, Ugh. yeah. So, um, so I don't think it's bad to cry. And yeah. so I definitely cry more. My rule is don't outdo the owner. You're right. Like don't, don't be more upset than they yeah. are. <laughs> you just, you just because then they're comforting you. <laughs> I'm, are you okay, doc? Right. I'm going to be all right. We'll get you some tissues. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Do you need a moment? But you, but you make a really good point. And honestly, what I know about death, what I feel about death, yeah. but human animal is in that moment, it's so important to make their life significant. I always mm. think about how much clients tell us about when they were a puppy and you know how bad they used to be. I think about how many times clients tell me, oh my gosh, they were the worst puppy. Right. They love to tell us like, oh, he chewed up, the, he ate my diamond ring, yeah. you know, or whatever it is, you know, and they, right. oh, he, like, ruined, he ate the wedding cake. We were getting, you know, some kind of crazy stories. They always kind of go to these, but they're, they're talking about the significance of their life. They're, they're, they're some summating that whole life in that moment. And we really do have the power to be there in that moment and go down memory lane with them and to, to let them know, like, this is totally significant. Your pet's significant. This loss is significant. That's uh, one of the best words anybody's used for this is that, is that they are significant. They're, they are more than just a pet. They're a life witness to many things, you know? So like the, the births, the marriages, the deaths, the graduations, things like that. They're just a being in the home, a presence that's always there and always happy to see you. Like there's like no human that, that, that is always happy to see you. <laughs> so I mean, true. even my mother's not right. always happy not to always, see me, right? right? Not always. But my dog is always, <laughs> always. happy to see me. And, right. and that is such a, a lovely thing to have. And when we have to let that go, it's really hard. Yeah. It's so hard. But to, sh- to see how significant they were and, and the different stories they have, I, I just, I, I find that the best appointments, yeah. you know? I, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, all the other doctors out there, they could take the uh, yellow liver cats and the cocker spaniel ears and, you know, I'll take all the hospice and euthanasia. (laughs) Well, and you know what? That's the thing. That's the beauty of this industry. And the more that we're growing and the more we're specializing is we're finding where we do really good, where we thrive, where we get our compassion satisfaction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then we can, I'm so tired of hearing about compassion fatigue and Uh focusing there because it's like, good, fine. Then where's our satisfaction? And how can we build that? And so if for you it is that moment, then wonderful because that's going to create the balance for all of us. So, you know, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, is these topics are deep. And they're important. So outside of just euthanasia, I mean, you're talking a a little bit more about the individual in the veterinary medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, and and how we're kind of feeling lately, right? We're we're declining from a mental health standpoint, it feels like, or else we're talking about it more. So maybe the numbers aren't changing, but the conversation is happening. I know, right. Is it more open and aware than than it ever was in the past? But regardless, it's it's still pretty scary numbers and things like that. So yeah, um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty sad. And because of this, we've got veterinarians and veterinary professionals alike looking for more balance. Yeah. Right. They're looking to, in fact, I I feel like there's a lot of new grads and, and even students right now who are talking about and thinking about work-life balance in school oh, yeah. as they graduate. <laughs> you better get used to it. Yeah. That's, it, it continues outside of it. But um, yeah, I just spoke at the University of Florida last week. We do the end-of-life care course for them. Yeah. And and they're just, they're, uh, University of Florida was a great group of students this past semester. And uh, yeah, they were asking us all these things of, of how do you how do you balance everything? And and I do a whole lecture on, on trying to stay balanced, but not that I have all the answers, right? Because right? Yeah. everybody is different. 
different. And, sure. And some people wonder how the hell I keep it all going. Right. Well, right. And, and it's those of us that are lecturing on balance that when they're reading our bios, everyone in the audience is looking at us like, and sorry, you're going to talk to me about work-life balance, right? right? Because I, but what I say is, I have to create balance for me to do all yeah. of these things. I have to focus on balance and I have to stay happy because truthfully, as I always say, I feel like you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. So we have to be able to fill our own cups, not think that that's selfish, not have a hard time doing for ourselves, knowing that we're going to be better practitioners, better family members, better individuals, because we are able to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's the importance of these topics. So, so you know, on top of that, on top of everything that we've got going on, the balance, the emotion, all of that, you know, we've got our pet parents, we've mm. got our clients, right? And we have to deal with the sadness and the and the hurt that basically we're giving our patients and our clients, but also our own pets too. And I think sometimes we forget to think of ourselves yeah. as pet owners. Oh right? yeah, and and how hard what we have to do can be for ourselves. So, you know, we have that whole myriad and it just seems like it can be too much when it comes down all at once. Yeah, I know. I, I know it could be deafening and just, you don't even want to get out of bed sometimes. And I think, you know, back to just to highlight on that point of, of our own pets, I think I'm, I'm a much better end of life care doctor after every pet that I've lost. Yeah. Cause I've lost them in so many different ways. One died on their own. One was taken by a coyote. <sighs> one was, you know, long standing hospice. So I've had every different kind of experience and I've euthanized them in um, those that I have in every different route also. So I can speak to what it's like so it's just made me such a better a better doctor yeah. but yeah we got we got a lot of a lot of heavy stuff but you know it and so do a lot of a lot of people in life right, right? we're not just isolated from this it's right. just we're we're such a caring group yeah. that sometimes you know it we, we can get a little bit too caring yeah and and critics can hurt us and you know it's really sad about the critics I, I just went off on the tangents just now on you but right. what's really sad is that how much we we are dealing with on with outside people you know attacking us or or whatever it may be, and I don't need to, you know, reiterate all that we go through, but how sad it is to see it within our group. Yes. Like, I'm just appalled at sometimes the 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 Facebook groups that are just, you know, the, the comments that, that other vets will say, other technicians will say to each other. Me, I've gotten slammed on Facebook groups and and just for whatever it may be. And I'm like, I, you know what, you got, you asked, you asked what my opinion was right. in here, and it wasn't anything bad. It was, right. you know, and it was just a slam. And I'm like, man, good thing, you know, know, there, there's a thing, I hope I get the quote right, but it's, it's Morgan Freeman and he says, um, don't take criticism from people that you wouldn't go to for advice. And that's exactly right. <laughs> right? And that is one of my favorites because yeah. when you start thinking about it that way, people are really quick to hand out criticisms uh, and we all take them and deal with them very differently, but yeah. they hurt kind of no matter yeah, they what, do. right? Yeah, totally. And, and even when people have nowhere in our space, right? But we're, we're getting this from everywhere. And, and like you said, it can, I feel like when it rains, it pours and cliche as it is, it just seems like it is that, you know, mm -hmm. it seems like, oh my my dog's sick. And then of course the next patient that I see has the same thing my dog has or, you know, whatever it is. And we kind of have to, we have to deal with that. And so these topics are basically, you know, around that, the resiliency, right? Yeah. Building the resiliency, finding the joy. Yeah, no, it's true. Finding happiness. I just did, yeah, I just did my happiness talk. I'm trying to think what I just did already. <laughs> so I just talked on happiness and the room was packed. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. And yeah. it was, you know, I think the fire marshal was going to come in, but it's just so interesting how many people 
love their work, but they don't love where they work. Yes. And that's sad. And, you know, there's such a, you know, problem with recruitment in our industry right now, but really the problem is retainment. Yeah. So if everybody's complaining about recruitment, how about actually creating a place where people want to stay? Like it's, it's, it's insanity to me, the stories that I hear. And this one, this one woman came up to me and she's like, I loved your, you know, your six human need value slide that you did. And she's like, my boss doesn't care about any of those. And I've worked there for 42 years. Wow. And I said, well, you know, there's a there's a slide that I didn't get to because there's so much to talk yeah. about. And I just said, if you don't love it, you got to leave you it. You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about that so often. And even in the technician industry, it's like, go find that job. And people, yeah. they just feel so limited. They're, yeah, but I, this is the only one in town. Or, and I think what happens for a lot of them is they love their patients. They I, love that's their what patients she said. so much. I can't leave my patients. Right. And, and if I go, who will help them? Right. Somebody will. But, like... Do not take on the guilt that should never be yours in the first place. Yeah. And and there are other patients that need you. Yeah. Right? You're going to find love again in, yeah. in the in, in somewhere else. There are clinics out there dying for vets, right. dying for technicians. Yeah. So go find a better place. Right. You're in the hot, you're in the like the best spot right now. I know, right? I so agree. like if you're not happy, get out. You gotta find it. You gotta go find it. You have to make your own happiness and yeah. take personal responsibility for it. It's not really going do. to come find you. No. And I think sometimes we think it's gonna like we think we can hold it out or <laughs> right and sometimes I think we um and you know sorry guys if I'm hitting hot spots here but I think we think we can control things into happiness because <laughs> yeah. we are also not all but we so many of us are so type a and we get so controlling and I think when things are outside of our control such as diseases and death and so much yeah. that happens around us that feels out of control then we get the need to control everything else that we can and then everything feels out of control and we spiral right yeah. because we can't control the things we really want to sometimes I know and it's hard and it could be deflating yeah. and girlfriend of mine a classmate she texted me the other day and she's like you know we have a really bad communication in our clinic uh, when when something needs to be changed a policy change or whatever and and can you what, what are your tips to help that communication go to the staff before it happens right yeah. and so and I talked about this in my lecture I was like does that happen anywhere and everyone's raised their hand so I texted my friend back because first off that's not that's not something that you can easily answer in a bubble yeah <laughs> no right but, and then I said to her I said well my first question to you is does leadership want to make it better or do they not care about that change and so she's like that's a good question she's like i don't think they they don't want to make it better and i right. said well then i'm not going to answer then there's <laughs> right? nothing to answer then don't get then don't get upset and find somewhere else and then she's like but i'm in a non-compete and this and that and i'm just like there are options there out are there options. like there are options and so um so i'm helping her because that's just it's sad when you want to try to make change and then somebody that you know is is unfortunately blocking the way and so much of why people leave veterinary medicine or just a clinic is is in the control of leaders leadership. Yeah. I mean, right. that's it. And and there are too many, there, even leaders have a lot going on. Like sure. I got a lot going on. Right. So I have to make sure that I hire better people to handle some of these things yeah. and release it to them. That's right. Right. So, Hey, it is your job to make sure our veterinarians are happy. Right. Like what, what are you, and let me check in on you to make sure that you're doing that, but I can't be the one that does it all. Right. Right. And, and that was actually one of my, one of my favorite aspects of your talks in general was that whole team approach. Like yeah. you're looking at the happiness, getting your veterinary groove back and workplace <laughs> happiness and caregiver burden, part of that becomes is a matter of who you're surrounded with all day, right? If your whole team is burnt out, if you have a terrible clinic culture, if everyone hates each other, um, and, and I personally, and I, I preach about this a little bit, but the support staff, and I think especially our CSRs, oh, yeah. they get so overlooked. They get overlooked in, in education. They get overlooked in, in resilience and impact. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think we Ooh. forget that they're the ones that fall in yeah. love with the clients as well in, in the front desk and they're impacted. I'm so excited about this. Okay. Because at Lab of Love, we 
have 130 doctors or something like that. It changes every week. We're adding more. But we have 70, what we call them veterinary care coordinators. So they are our receptionists. Yeah. They are, they're 70 answering our phones seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And we answer right now 600 phone calls a day. Wow. And these are families calling about the worst moment of their lives, right? And so we have retainment of 90% in that department. And that's, that is, uh, you know, dare I say, like a call center, sure. you know, right? Okay. And that is a really great retainment uh, yeah. number. Yeah. And it's this kind of calls, right? right? So the culture that we have created and the values that we that we have are instilled in every single department. So so our core values are, are not just what our veterinarians and our management has to you know live by and that what we what we reward by and things like that. So with our with our care coordinators, we're talking about education. So we we have um, a wonderful woman, Colleen Ellis, who comes in and talks about pet loss support and, and companion certification program that they go through yeah. so that way they can learn the tools to help these families more. So we encourage them to take that, to take that course yeah. uh, or any other, you know, kind of pet loss group support support system that they can do. So we're always wanting them to get educated. And our reward system, we, we follow, believe it or not, the Mary Kay uh, reward. <laughs> like, so we get Cadillacs. So, uh, purple Cadillacs <laughs> would be great. But, you know, there's milestones that, that we go through. And so as a veterinarian, the, the number of pets that we help, 250 pets, we get this um, little necklace that has the paw impression of, of their own pet on it and set in gold. And so that um, is given also to the to the care coordinators after they've been with us for a certain amount of time or for the families that they've helped on the phone. So like they they feel just as important as, as our doctors. And then we give a little bit different gifts. So like for our doctors, when they've helped a thousand families, we give an angel wing, which is this because we deliver angel wings, yeah. right? So the care coordinators, they, they're not the one delivering the angel wings, so they'll get a different gift. But yeah. but we want to make sure they're supported. And and I did a survey once, and I knew what the answer was going to be. But um, so for our doctors, everyone says, well, isn't it like, uh, you know, isn't it so horrible and depressing and things like that? And we're like, no, we we actually are, are helping families with the suffering. And that's what our oath is, is to end suffering. And yeah. so we're okay with that. And uh, But if you think about our care coordinators dealing with all this, you know, very difficult phone conversations. So we surveyed them and said, what, you know, are, do you have any compassion fatigue? None. And then we said, what's the hardest part of your job? And everybody assumes it's dealing with crying clients all day yeah. long. And their answer was no one. We can't help them. They can't, right. They're not there. It's only they're, through the phone. It's only through do. the phone or they can't actually send a doctor because we're booked oh. or the doctor has their weekend off, right? Oh, okay. So we have some locations where there's only one doctor. So yeah. they work every other weekend. And so it might be Friday and they say, you know, can somebody come tomorrow? And, and they, they have to tell them. And they no. have to tell them no. Because they know suffering is happening until they're there. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm like, oh, what do we do, right? Yeah. And and so a lot of times, you know, that's why we always want to have two doctors in an area to help to help reduce that. We'll turn down marketing in an area because we don't want it's not just about losing sales, it's about also now the tax on the on our, our family, we call them yeah. our family in the in the cost center. So they're just as important to the whole team. Yeah. And we flipped our organization chart to be uh, upside down. So it's very servant leader leader. Like as it should. As it should. So Danny and I, uh, you know, we're we're partners at the bottom. <laughs> we're at the bottom of the pole, yeah. which is fine. At the top of our of our chart is the client pet experience. Yeah. And so right underneath that is is who builds that experience, and it is side by side doctors and the care coordinators because yeah. they're the they're the front line. And I got to tell you, I get more. We get more thank you cards for them. Yeah. They'll be like, you know, oh Cheryl was amazing. Thank you so much. And so and the vet too. <laughs> 
and, and, now, and whoever actually and whoever was the one but I can't remember so but that's so important yeah. that's yeah. so true and it's wonderful you know at the end of the day everyone wants to feel like what they're doing is meaningful yeah. and and so wherever we can find ways within our clinics within our practices for our work to be meaningful and our coworkers to be meaningful it's important right and so it's important for them to know we choose well we die I mean we have to work right but like we spend more time with our work family than we do our chosen family oh yeah totally you know we, we spend third. more hours at work than we do at our home we we have to make a good culture for this and there are there's ways to do it right so yeah. what are some of those self-check measures so how do you how do, mm. how can people gauge their culture like I mean obviously it's like we can't all come work for you in BCSRs, although can we please? <laughs> okay, yeah, but it, it, what is it? What can? What advice do you give to other practitioners and GPs? You're like, I don't know. What is my clinic? I don't know. What's it? What is my clinic culture? How, how right. do you help? Okay. Them? Oh, here's okay. So what we did is we wanted to come up with our core values, but we didn't want to be like these silly people that you know integrity. Yeah. And then and then put like a, a plaque on the wall that has people rowing on a rowboat. You know that you get it. Whatever the stores sure. are. Hang in there, Kitty from the. <laughs> Thinking from the, well, I got you. Right. No, so we're like, okay, what are the core values of Lapa Love? So what we did is that as the executive team, air quote executive team, but so the leadership team, we got together and we said, okay, who are the people that already work for us that that exude what we feel is like the best employee, whatever that is, right? So we said, okay, Cindy and Cheryl and Amanda, the doctor and this, you know, call center and the, you know all that stuff. So we had like six or seven people that were like, oh, th- those are the ones we want to clone, right? Yeah, and yeah. every clinic has a cloner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So then we said, okay, what are the attributes of that person? And so we were like, okay, truly love humanity, you know, yeah. and and just and all those things. Humble, like yeah. humility, is probably the biggest trait that I, I adore of people, right? Because we're you know we're all smart and we're like we could do amazing things, but you have to be humble. And especially what we do, we're going into people's homes. We you know we have to be very uh, mindful of how we how we interact with them, you know, just reputational excellence, being the very best that, that you can be so so we we actually wrote down all those things and made our made our core values from them and then when we hire when we discipline dare I say when we support and give rewards it's it's based truly off of those values and it's also any decision that needs to be made so so let's say it's the weekend and our practice manager can't get a hold of me or Danny or their boss you know and they have to make a decision we say well go off of the core values and if that decision is aligned with our core values then you won't have made a mistake so so that way they're not scared to make it to make a decision and I say now you just defend it you say why sure and now guess what maybe there was a different way we could have done this but you're not going to get we're not going to get mad at you as long as you say you know what this was this was why I did that okay great and yeah. then this is how we could do it a little better next time so it it's first that's one thing is is like figure out who your cloners are and yeah. like and like why yeah and it's not just you know they're there on time <laughs> right that's, that's easy okay yeah. although yeah. it's hard I'm like, is it? <laughs> it really is it right and um, and, and it may be also that that you know they're adaptable. Like that's actually one thing. Everybody says, "Oh, you have to be compassionate, being a lap of love vet." Well, yeah, you have to be compassionate. Period. In this in this industry, like yeah. that's a given. Yeah. But you know, we have to be adaptable because our day is changing every every moment. Even in, even in the clinic, you don't know what's going to be walking in, and you have to be able to 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 do that and not get all worked up over it. And right. some people do not like change. Sure. And yeah. and it's really hard for them. Yeah. Um. So that's so that's some of my tips right there. It, it is so much coming from leadership and you know there's the toxicity and the toxic employees what's sad is when when they when they're still there and everybody knows it and the leaders don't get rid of them or change it right and I'm like first off don't just don't just toss all your toxic people out actually help them them. right thank you help them yeah what's what's going they may not know right 
right? They're like, oh, well, like, you know, I, I'm just the sassy one. I thought everybody liked my attitude. And we're like, no, you're actually degrading yeah. and you're annoying. <laughs> yeah. Say it better than that. Yeah. But, but the, sure, and, and often that toxicity is is actually manifesting from frustration, 100%. right? Or for something else. And they really are just like, I'm, I am being this way because I'm having to deal with this. Or I'm being this 100%. way because of that. Or because I don't have X, Y, or Z. And I love the fact that you talk about not immediately throwing them out on the street because we're not going to break a cycle. Right. And we need to break a cycle. Yeah, and they will be stronger and better if you can if you can actually help get them through that and grow. Everybody wants growth, yes, right. And so and and sometimes you may find out that your toxic person actually one of their problems is that they're not growing. They're they're frustrated because they're in their job and they just think it's day to day. Wow, oh, you want to go to CE? You want to go off to a conference or you want to you know help make content for our website? I never knew you wanted to do this. So you've got to talk to them. So first talk to them and then set goals and 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 objectives, right? So, okay, this is how we're going to change it. This is what we want to change is that we're going to have to change it. And we're going to talk again in 30 days. Yeah. And are you, are you near that goal? You know, and then, and then at 30 days, I'll say, you know what, you've, you've made it or, or you haven't, you have 30 more days and that is your last. Right. Right. Because I have to be mindful of everybody else. Sure. And I've had some people that were like, wow, I never thought you'd, you'd actually get rid of her. Yeah. You know, because they're, it's a doctor, they're making money for you. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, but they're, that's at a cost that I'm not, I'm not willing to make because of our reputation. Right, they're not delivering the service that we want. They're not communicating with all of you the way they should. You know, they're not humble, and so we tried. And and you know, good, good. You know, I I leave you. You know, in a good space, uh, not with us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I I always say when I go into a clinic, if I'm consulting or if I'm helping them, one of my one of my first gauges is laughter. Yeah. Right. I love it. If I walk into a clinic and I hear laughter and I see people goofing around and I see silliness, I'm like, oh, we're happy here. What are some things you could say? Are these are my keys? I know this is a good clinic culture. Yeah, I, I'm I'm upset that you said that because that'd be one I of them, yours. right? You totally took me. So people ask me, how did I pick my first job? Which you know, shout out to my pet vet animal hospital in Deerfield Beach. Okay. They were a very, it was a very small place. It had three little rooms, no ultrasound machine. It, you know, I was and I had the most fun when I was there for the day interviewing, and I thought this is it. So for me, my personal you know requirements of a of, of a job or a place I'm going to work with is fun. So so I'm glad you said that because happiness will make you more productive. It will make me you more creative. It, there's so many good things about happiness. And I'm not saying I'm happy all the time, Sure, but it's important to have fun. And I am probably like the goofy one in our group. <laughs> so I would say Danny, I'm older than Danny, but I'm way less mature. And <laughs> But um, I just, you know, I wish I could be CFO, just chief fun officer. Yeah. Definitely not messing with the money. The other thing is, is it, a, is it, is there a culture of contribution? So giving back and 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 do, does everybody feel like they're contributing to not only the the health and well-being of the animals contributing to the growth of the of the company you know contributing to each other supportive of each other and and just growth in, in itself so so are you encouraging your staff to do better yeah. and, and grow and do you have milestones for them to meet and yeah. things I mean people need that yes it's, they don't just want to be just a fish swimming around right you're gonna get bored yeah. and so you have to you have to get everybody swimming in the right direction yeah. and and having clear goals, clear objectives, uh, you know, and sometimes some people say, well, that sounds very corporate, but it's really not. Every, you know, every family has these things. Every family, you know, should should have what their objectives are. And, and you don't have to call it that, but right. but our, our family is work. And you said it, we're, we're at, with our work family a third of our lives. Yeah. 
So you better like it. Right, and being purpose-driven in, in general, oh, right? Exactly. Like what are we what are we moving towards? So because of that, so to this point, you have a treatment plan for workplace happiness. I do. And that's what I want to talk about for a second. Okay. So tell me more about these guided steps because I don't think most of us want to be unhappy or overworked, <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't know how to start. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to break their pattern. Yeah, no, it's hard. So I like to think of it like a treatment plan for, for a pet, right? So, you know, you've got some problems going on. Yeah. So I have my little treatment plan written out. So it just it just help, helps as a, as a roadmap, okay? So there's a couple of different steps. So the first is just getting a history and assessment of what What's going on? Just like you would with a dog, yeah. right? So, so how long has he been, you know, looking at his paws? <laughs> when, when does that happen? Is it all night? <laughs> how long have you been finishing a bottle of wine a night? <laughs> no shame, guys. No shame. Right. So, like, okay, what have we tried in the past? Yeah. What hasn't worked? What, what does work? What's, you know, what is just the history? Where we are today, also, and where we were in the past. So that's my, that's my history. And then the presenting complaints. So uh, and concerns. So I want to get from everybody. What, what are your concerns. Have you ever heard of this a SWOT analysis? Yeah. Okay. So like your strengths, your weakness, all that stuff. I want to do that in, in a clinic, right? Okay, so, yeah. okay, what are our strengths? What makes us the best clinic in this area? Yeah. What are we weak at, right? What are what are our threats? And so I want you everybody to put their concerns out on the table and then okay, what's the biggest ones? What where is there a common theme that's going on? Yeah. And uh, and then and then we're gonna address that. So so that's that's next. And then we're gonna have a uh, the treatment contract basically, okay. right? What's gonna happen? And that's where everybody usually falters because they're like, yeah, we need to make change. And okay. Right. Next. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't make a plan. Okay. Right. So again, just like you would in medicine, you'd say, okay, here's my problems. And, and for instance, with the, with the concerns, uh, especially with geriatric pets, uh, you know, people are always focusing on their teeth, which is very important, sure. their teeth. Right. So I'm like, okay, but you need to ask the owner, what is actually the worst part of right now that they're dealing with? Yeah. So we as doctors may see those nasty teeth, right? That yeah. they're just like falling out of their head. Yeah. However, if we don't ask, are they sleeping through the night? And that family's like, no, he is panting and pacing at the end of my bed all night long. That we could we could fix those teeth and they're still gonna euthanize that pet because of that, right. right? So we need to find out what is the what is the worst thing going on? What could what would what could we change that would make the best impact on the team? Okay. And it might be a couple of things, right? But but what's most important? And you might you might find out that it's something that you didn't even realize. Sure. You know? Okay, so the, and I wanna I wanna give you an example that was actually a fun one. And everybody has their strengths, so figure out in your in your treatment, you know, contract who's gonna be in charge of what and who's you know, what are what is everybody's strengths? And there they are. They feel and they're con you know contributing to this to the goal. Right. And then the next thing is to have your goals and your out and your and your objectives. So the difference of a goal and an objective is the goal is like the big picture. Like we want to increase you know client participation in something, right? Yeah. Well, your objectives would be like, okay, well then I'm going to hand this sheet to every every new client to fill out. Like this is my objective is to make sure whatever it may be, right? So right. so it's it's way more specific. It's like me. I want to lose weight. Okay, that's great. Sure. Right. <laughs> nice goal, Mary. Yeah. Right. But what is it? Okay, I need to reduce my calories down to 1,500 calories a, a day. So it's right? not about what you want. It's how you're going to get there. How you're going to get there okay. and who's going to do it. Right. right? Okay. So, so if we if we have a very big issue, like with my friend's issue about communication, okay, how are we going to do this? Let's talk about maybe maybe in this case it should be if we've got a new idea that we want to that we want to resolve and communicate. Let's let's look at it when it's 25% done, 75% done, and 90% done. And so everybody can say, okay. 
we're not totally down with this, but wh- what is everybody, you know, what's their input right now? Yeah. And and so, okay, good, good, good. Now, now we'll continue working on it. Wonderful. Because, and so that way people know in advance that things are coming down the pike and they're getting excited for it. Because the change is scary if they don't know. Yeah, nobody if wants everyone's cheese not moved. part of it, right. If, <laughs> if, if everybody's not a part of it, then they feel threatened by the change. Oh my gosh. If they're a part of it, then they feel included and that they're... And they're, significant. Right. And this is what they need. And this is what they need. Right. Sense. So, and especially coming from the top to say, hey, even the kennel worker, you know, hey, we're going to, we're, we're going to be getting a new, um, I mean, even if it's new detergent that's going to clean the, the walls or whatever, right? Well, they're the ones dealing with it. Is it too soapy? Is it too slimy? Does it take more water to wash? Like, they're the ones dealing with it. And actually getting their input, like, how nice would it be if somebody asked what's important to you, yeah. right, about everything? And then the most important thing is to be is be uh, watching the, the outcomes. So how are we progressing and what are the outcomes? Is it is it meeting our objectives and our goals? And if not, we may have to, you know move move things around a, a little bit. So one of the things that this is what I wanted to say, I had this one, emer- not emergency clinic, it was a specialty clinic in Southern California. So they asked me to come and talk on compassion fatigue, right? And I'm like, mm, okay, because I don't have compassion fatigue, so it's hard for me to talk to it, yeah. right? And I'm like, I can make, I have a presentation on it, yeah. but it's not my favorite talk, actually. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I will come and talk to you, but I want to, I want to do a survey first. And so they're like, okay. And I was like, and you can't get the, you won't get the results. I'm going to get it to help my lecture. So they're yeah. like, okay. So I surveyed all of their, it was mostly technicians and um, and really not really the doctors were involved because <laughs> they were focusing on the technicians. And so it was really interesting to see what was what was upsetting to them. And and believe it or not, the two biggest things, one was they said that the, that the specialists don't see what we see every single day. And they're just telling us to do, they look at the patient twice a day and they're telling us to give this treatment and we know that this patient should be let go. Yeah. And and we have a hard time that they feel like they're pushing the line too much, and so then we came up with a whole tr- a whole plan to have communication about this because the specialists didn't know, right? Like they didn't know that they were feeling this way, and they're like, oh crap! Like we we didn't know we're putting the pressure on you for this. And let me explain why I wanted to do that. Like maybe maybe the client has like really said, I want to try everything, yeah. but how can we you know how can we help you technicians you know deal with this? The other thing that really upset them was that they have made a bond with this pet, and let's say they were off for the weekend and the pet died. And it is the policy of the clinic to send a sympathy card within 24 hours, and they didn't get to write in the sympathy card. So that was their second biggest problem. Wow. And I'm like, we can solve that in a second. Compassion fatigue is not our issue. It's not our issue. And, and I get I get wanting to point to it. I right. Get, I get right. saying, and there may be, we're worried right? about you and this is a thing, but without looking internally first. Right. And and really ask, okay, what's, I mean, is that compassion fatigue? That they're, that they're upset? That they're, you know, that they're, no, they actually have so much compassion. And, and that to me is the definition of compassion is the recognition of suffering, the desire to change that suffering and not being attached to the outcome. Yeah. And and that is the technicians see that. They yeah. you know they want to change it. They they don't want they don't want to euthanize this pet, you know, but they know that that's maybe best for that one. And in, in this example. Sure. Um, and then the other was the sympathy cards. I'm like, well that just shows they they want to actually show their compassion. And, and not could, being able to do that is going to lead to the compassion fatigue. You. They're yes. going to get there to where they can't care as much anymore because right. they have to compartmentalize because they're yep. not allowed to process that emotion the way they need to, which yep. may be as simple as, I just really want my name on it and right. to say how meaningful that my time with your pet was. Right. How nice that, 100%. So I think sometimes we are pushing them right into the point of, of, of no return. And little, little things like crying at the appointment. I can't tell you how many students come up to me or younger vets and they said, we were told not not to cry 
in, in vet school and even in their first job that that's not professional. I'm like, we are, we're, you know, there's nothing wrong with crying. Like I said, just don't outdo the owner. Have but you ever had a client it's crazy. say they didn't appreciate you crying? Oh, that's a good question. Never, never have I ever had one. I'm trying to think if we've ever had a complaint and none of our doctors have, have ever. Um, if anything, and this is interesting, so um, the complaints that we'll get, okay? okay. Dare I say we don't get many. So out of 5,000 appointments a month, we'll get maybe two complaints, okay. which is .000 whatever. <laughs> um, so shout out to our team. Yeah. But uh, the two complaints that we'll have is either my pet suffered during it. Like he that hurt him. Yeah. And they also don't realize that, okay, your Labrador is in so much excruciating pain with those hips that even if I, you know, blow a puff of wind near him, he's going to rah, right? Yeah. So my little sedation needle, the 25 gauge, wasn't it. wasn't it, but they think it was. And so we have to guide them through that. The second is if they think that our vet was um, either rushed them or wasn't compassionate. Yep. So I was like, hmm, let me look at this. I know that vet or I know, you know, and I'm like, I know they are. And, and maybe it is something where one, one example was the veterinarian had uh, had hurt, some, hurt her knee. So she couldn't get on the floor that much for like a month. And that's when I was like, you're getting a little bit more complaints what's going on and so we I literally was like where are you standing what are you doing you know what are you where are you sitting she's like I'm standing and I said okay you need to tell them why you're standing because they feel rushed you're just waiting to get you're in just and waiting get out, to get in I and see. get out and you're not like sitting down and being a part of it right and I'm like oh my gosh that's so so she's like I well I didn't want them to feel bad for me and I'm like no tell them I had I had cruciate surgery yeah I can't, would it be okay if I sit in this chair I want to get on the ground with him like tell yeah. him that you want to so because I knew yeah. she was a great vet and then the other thing that I noticed is behavior of the of the families. So those families that call like six months in advance and have booked and canceled like more than twice, they are what I call the weeble wobble. They, yeah. they go and they come back. They're going and they come back. Yeah. So they have a hard time making this decision. So basically they will always feel rushed because they don't want this to ever happen. There was never going to be a time. There was never yeah. going to be a time. So how can we help the doctors deal with those? So then I want to watch, hey, these people canceled three times. So now what are the words that you can say to make them feel supportive, that they are doing the best thing and just say like, hey, I know I noticed that, you know, you've been struggling with this for a while and I and I can understand why. Yeah. You know, and just making them, you know, just feel like like you're you understand what they're going through. That's all they need to hear. Sure. And well, that's whether we're dealing with a patient, a client, or our own staff, right? Yeah. So showing empathy. I, I see what you're going through. I'm not going to rush you. Like, these are core principles in general, so right? Easy. <laughs> so then what about our resistance, right? So mm. what about those resistant folks? What are the people that are like, toxicity isn't a thing, compassion and fatigue isn't a thing, suck it up, buttercup. Like, how do you help these <laughs> clinics that are just like resistant and they, and they just... Well, are they resistant or are they like, suck it up, what's your problem? Yeah. That's, I think, the difference, right? right. I, I believe I'm very resilient, you know, and, and um, although I do have my moments. Sure. But I do believe there are, sadly, some clinics that are not understanding of this. And I think I, 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 I really want people to not be scared to talk to leadership, Okay. Right. And just be honest and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to complain, but, but, oh, here's my example to people. Like, I, I don't love just problems. I want solutions. Yeah. All leaders, like, they right. don't have time. Right. Right. So if you say, hey, uh, I want to sign the sympathy cards. Right. Yeah. Well, how about say, hey, listen, I know our policy is 24 hours. However, can we extend that to 36 hours because because this is why and this is going to solve the problem. Now, that one's an easy one. Sure. Right. But to, to me, I, there's there's this metaphor I like to say is, is I may ask you for the ice cream. Please don't deliver me a cow 
Yeah. Or milk. Right. But I'd really love a banana split. Right. <laughs> right. So I'll have to, hey, can you can you get me XYZ or figure out XYZ? And then they'll send me something like, well, here's where you can find it. And I'm like, okay, that was the cow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Actually, then if you if I've had it literally had this happen where I asked for something and somebody got me PDFs, they highlighted exactly what the research that I wanted to know. They they highlighted more in different colors. Like this is I'm like, oh, you just gave me a banana split. Like yeah. I didn't even know that's what I wanted. Right. right. So so if you come without just complaining but actually some examples of solutions to yeah. that you're going to feel better cuz you're you're now contributing to the to this you know the resolution of it and then the the staff there the leaders should hopefully say okay let's let's try one of those yeah. what are the object what's going to be the outcome you yeah. know and then and if that happens then then we'll go forward with that so yeah. it's hard though there are some that just are not going to change. Sure. And so I think, you know, it comes down to, we know how to do things with a plan. We know how to do things with yeah. an outline. We can do the things that are maybe a little less uh, tangible, kind of very similar the same way. You want to hire great people? Find them from Clinician's Brief Career Center. Connect with candidates who grow your business and effectively care for your patients and your clients. Post your job today at cliniciansbrief.com backslash career dash center. All right. I, I want to go on and on forever, but I, but I will can. eventually get cut off. Right. And so I want to hit you with my keep it brief segment. Not oh a whole lot of pressure because we never keep it brief, but also <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble if we don't a little okay. bit. I will do my best. Give me your top five things five. a person can do to make the biggest improvements in the mindset and their workplace happiness. Just five simple things you can do to help improve that. Well, you know, I think I'm going to give you six. <laughs> How's that for like not keeping in with your? Uh, You're in line with keeping it brief. I, I'm going to keep it brief. So there are six human needs I think that everybody has, and and this is Tony Robbins actually has this. So I, I love Tony Robbins, yeah. <laughs> and um, I actually learned these also from from somebody that I get coached from. So I actually have a personal coach, believe it or not. So uh, and he's uh, Dave Nickel, and he's a speaker also. Oh, I do. You know? I, do. Yeah. I have actually interviewed him on my other podcast. Oh, he's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So he's great. So he's actually my coach too. Yeah. So believe it or not. So there's six human needs uh, that everybody I think. Think, um, wants to meet these needs, and so I think this will help people balance and keep happy. So first is certainty. So so are they are they do they feel certain in their job? Do they know that they're not you know that they're that they're um, at risk of maybe getting fired? And this is where a lot of you know with uh, a lot of corporatization going on, people are not certain about their job. So and and as a leader, do I want to make sure that our, our our you know families feel like they're they're and I call families our our yeah. our, our crew if you will variety. Okay. So this is the next human need. So so having variety of of you know, even though we do one thing over and over and over again, we have such a variety of all our different families and all the different stories, which yeah. is great. But also saying, hey, let's let's um, you know, let's get some more education to learn something else. If you want to learn about herbs, you know, yeah. that might help. Or if you yeah. want to learn about music therapy, I don't know, sure. whatever, right? So variety. Next is is focusing on your significance. So I'm so happy that you said that word because I think that's that's most important. Is everybody wants to feel significant, feel important. Uh, next is connection and being connected. And you might not get that at work. Yeah. So find outside of work then you know find whatever it may be that lights your spirit up and I mean there's so many I love I have so many friends now being speaking all over the world and it's great to see some are doing like the ribbon thing hanging in the air you know Ariel stuff I could never do that yeah. growth so just continuing to grow and I've talked about that earlier and last is contribution and are you contributing 
Yeah. And if you're not contributing at work, can you contribute outside of yeah. work? You know, yeah. so whether whether it's, you know, volunteering somewhere or something like that. So those are my six tips of, yeah. of finding your passion yeah. in anything that you're doing in work or out of work. I love that. It's so important. And, and to be talking about finding it out of work as well, not counting on it. The last thing I do want to do, you said yes. her name a couple times. I absolutely think we need to shout her out. Let's tell me about Dr. Danny. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so Danny's my partner. She was my classmate in vet school. So we were day one sat next to each other at vet school. So oh we're dear. Yeah. <laughs> we got not a lot done in histology lab. So she's been an amazing friend since, you know, 2004. Yeah. Uh, so where we are now, you know, that's, yes. that's a long time. And so she, she was doing emergency work uh, and I was doing general practice. And so she was also doing in-home hospice and euthanasia because with emergency, you do so much euthanasia. Right. And so she reached out to me um, almost a year after she had started doing this and she's like I think you'd enjoy it and I really need help growing you know so many people ask about this maybe we can make a big business out of it yeah so she brought me into this so yeah. she convinced me and so yeah so she's 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 awesome and yeah. and uh, is a big inspiration behind a lot of what we do yeah that's wonderful thank you so much for taking the yeah, time I know you, you have such a busy speaking I know I gotta go You're somewhere going else crazy. right <laughs> we're both gonna head out of here and speak and we will catch up again very yes. soon okay Thanks thank so you much. Thanks again to today's guest for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate if you leave us all the stars. You can listen to podcasts as well on our website at cliniciansbrief.com backslash podcasts. You can find us at facebook.com backslash cliniciansbrief, on Twitter at cliniciansbrief, and on Instagram at clinicians.brief. You can also drop us a line at podcast at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief, the podcast, is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ustry, sound by Randall Stupka, hosted by me, Becky Mosser, with special thanks to production assistant Michelle Moncrez.